Good evening. We're so glad you're here tonight. And on Sunday nights, we're studying the book of John, the gospel of John. And so if you have a copy of God's word, look with us to the book of John, chapter 1. And we'll begin reading with verse 29. Look at John, chapter 1. And we'll begin, well, actually, we'll begin reading with verse 35. While you're turning there, let me remind you that this coming Sunday night, we're having a new members class. If you are a new member and you haven't gone through the class, or if you're thinking about the joining the church or, or you're interested in the church, uh, we'll be meeting at 545 in D102, D102, the same room, but we just want to encourage you. It's a good time to hear about who we are, uh, hear about what Baptists believe and, and understand about our history. So uh, please mark that down. Also, we have a team in Central Asia. Uh, I did get a text from them right before I came here, and they had a worship service this morning, and they're meeting with the missionaries they're working with, and they thank us for our continued prayer. And also, as we said this morning, uh, I cannot believe, as Mark said this morning, can't believe we're saying this, there's a copier toner shortage worldwide. Amazing, and so that's why we couldn't do as many bulletins, and and may not have some uh, some things in the future as many as we like. But just I just want you to be aware that is legit because I looked it up. I, there's no way I thought that's a, that could happen. Book of John, chapter one. The apostle John is writing this account of Jesus to prove to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. Last time we were introduced to John the Baptist, not the writer of the book of John, but John the Baptist. And we see him again in verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he proposed to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda and, and the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, well, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit or no guile. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Our Father, in this long passage, we see a pattern that all of us need to be following. 
And so, Father, I pray you'll help us as we understand it and then apply it, Father, into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Four decades, Amos Alonzo Stagg was the head football coach of the University of Chicago. They were the original monsters of the midway before the Chicago Bears ever received that title. For decades, while he was coaching there, they said if you went on campus and you bumped into anyone on campus, Stagg made an impact on that person, whether they were a football player or not. He led that team to national titles in 1905 and also 1913, but his legacy in football is amazing. He came up with some things that we're accustomed to today. For example, he came up with something called the huddle. Before Stags, they didn't have a huddle. He said, well, why don't we just talk about it? He came up with the onside kick. He came up with a T formation. He came up with probably the most creative idea ever called the forward pass. He changed football. He invented football as we know it today. And that's his legacy in the secular world. But if he was here today, he would say, oh, that's not my legacy. You see, when he accepted the job to go to the University of Chicago, he told the president this. He said, after much thought and prayer, I decided that my life can be best used for my master's service in the position you offered. Staggs wanted to take his job and use it as a way to reach people for Jesus. He looked at his job using football to reach young people for Christ and to disciple them. If he was here today, he would say, my legacy is making disciples. Discipleship is the key to Christianity. In fact, you take discipleship out of Christianity, Christianity fails. And I really believe one of the mistakes we have made in modern Christianity is we've gotten away from this. That we are not making disciples as it was intended that all of us make a disciple. Now, in Jesus' day, and a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, we talked about this concept. In Jesus' day, there were many types of disciples. Everyone had disciples. The Greek philosophers had their disciples. The rabbis had their disciples. A disciple was someone who would teach someone, and then that person would follow them, and that person would, would emulate that person, and then that person would go out, and they would get some followers and continue teaching the same message. That was discipleship in Jesus' day. And the process was simple. The teacher would take someone teach them the philosophy, teach them what they needed to know. They would watch the teacher as he went about his life. They would emulate that. And then one day when the teacher uh, left or died or whatever, the person would then continue on this ministry. And so we see this in John chapter 1. As Jesus is calling disciples, as Jesus is bringing disciples to learn from him. And in this chapter 1, we see about five different people that Jesus is going to make disciples. And so tonight, I want to look at this long passage and talk about the question, how are disciples made? How are disciples made? So let's look at it. First of all, the first point is, we must be pointed to Jesus. We must be pointed to Jesus. The word disciple means there's a follower, that you are a follower that you are learning. The idea of being a disciple means you want to learn. You are going to follow someone. Well, if you are not called, if you, if you are, uh, do not see that teacher, how can you be a disciple? And so in verse 35, 
we see once again John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, and he's proclaiming who Jesus is. Look at verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. We talked about this last time. That phrase, Lamb of God, they knew what that meant. That this is the Lamb of God that was pictured in Genesis chapter 3. This is the Lamb of God that was proclaimed in Genesis chapter 22. This is the Lamb of God that was betrayed in Exodus chapter 12. This is the Lamb of God that was prophesied in Isaiah 53. This is the Lamb of God that is the the Son of God. This is the Messiah. They didn't totally understand the idea that he would take their sin, but they understood what the Lamb of God was, like a lamb led to slaughter. God has provided a lamb for his people. And here's John the Baptist, and he is pointing and said, there is the Lamb of God. He is going to take away our sin. And we talked about that last time. He's going to take away not only our sins, plural, but our sin nature. He's going to take that, move it somewhere else, and destroy it. And here are the two disciples. Now, who are they? Well, we know one is Andrew because we, he mentions him. The other one, most scholars believe, is actually the Apostle John. And the reason he doesn't mention himself is because he doesn't mention his name throughout the book. Every time he talks about himself, he disguises it a little bit. He doesn't give a name. And so many scholars believe that the two disciples are John, the apostle of Jesus, and also Andrew. And here's John the Baptist. He's pointed at Jesus and said, there is the Lamb of God. If you don't have someone pointing you to Jesus, how can you be saved? That is our job. If you're here tonight as a believer, if you're watching online as a believer, we are to tell the world about Jesus. We are to point to Jesus. But here's the sad part. Survey done a couple of years ago found out only only 13% of Christians in the United States have ever shared their faith. 13 out of 100 Christians in the United States are the only ones sharing their faith one-on-one. This is why we're not reaching the world. 13 out of 100 Christians told someone verbally about Jesus. Barna Research discovered that in the United States a couple of years ago, only 3 in 10 unchurched Americans, 29%, say that a Christian ever shared Christ with them. Seven out of ten unchurched Americans have never had a Christian tell them about Jesus. It gets a little better when they said about only slightly about 33% of unchurched Americans said, I have been told of the benefits of coming to a church. And 35% of unchurched Americans have said, I've been told the benefits of becoming a Christian. But only... 29% have been told how to become a Christian by another believer. This is why we're not reaching the world. This is why we're not making an impact. Because God told us that we are to go and share the gospel. We are to be a witness. There's a movie, 1987 classic movie called The Untouchables by Brian De Palmer. It's about Al Capone. And Al Capone, you know, many of you know the story. Al Capone was the gangster of Chicago. In the movie, most of the movie dealt with them trying to protect a bookkeeper. 
And it's very important to the story. Really, that actually happened in the real world because Al Capone was not sent to jail because of murder or racketeering. He was sent to jail because of tax evasion, because of his bookkeeper testifying against him. The bookkeeper was important because the bookkeeper was what they called a star witness. A star witness is that person who determines the outcome of a decision. A star witness is that person who's willing to speak out and be a witness, who's willing to speak out and make a difference in the outcome. Well, God wants us to be star witnesses. Every believer needs to be telling others about Jesus. Every believer needs to be telling someone verbally about Jesus. And we're not. There was a preacher of another generation, Lyman Beecher. Lyman Beecher was very powerful uh, intellect, brilliant scholar, great preacher of his generation. In fact, his sermons were published in newspapers across America. Now, you can't even imagine that today, publish, publishing sermons. On his deathbed, they came around him, his friends and relatives, and they were asking him questions, wanting to get as much knowledge, much wisdom as they could from Beecher. And they, someone asked him, they said, Sir, tell us, what is the greatest thing a human being can do or be in this life? They wrote down what he said. Lyman Beecher said, The greatest thing is not that a man should be a scientist, important as that is. Not that a man should be a statesman, as important as that is. Not even that one should be a great theologian, immeasurably important as that is. But the greatest thing of all things is for one human being to bring another human being to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to make disciples if we don't come to Christ first. And we need someone to point the way. You know, when we were studying the book of Acts, did you notice how many times people brought people to Christ? They didn't have the power of the Rome. They didn't have the educational system of Rome. They didn't have the government of Rome. They didn't have the great PR system. They didn't have the influence. They didn't have power. What they had were people willing to go tell people one-on-one about Jesus. If you're going to be disciples, you need someone to point you to Jesus. Number two, we must choose to follow Jesus. We must choose to follow Jesus. You know, I can point people to Jesus. I can talk to people about Jesus, but it's still their choice to make. And so here is John in verse 35, and he is pointing to Jesus. He said, verse 36, behold the Lamb of God. Now look at verse 37. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So here, John points and said, there, there's the Lamb of God. And here are two disciples of John the Baptist saying, well, let's go follow him. And so they followed him. In verse 38, and Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, what do you seek? Now, I love that question. You see, the question I thought he should have asked is, who do you seek? Who are you looking for? But Jesus doesn't ask that question. He looks at Andrew and says, tell me, what, what are you looking for? Are you looking for security? Are you looking for significance? Are you looking for peace? Are you looking for purpose? What are you looking for? I mean, whatever you are seeking, you can find in Jesus. And by the way, if it's wrong to seek it, he will show you. And so here's a person, a disciple is a person who is following Jesus. And guess what? They do get security. They do get significance. They do get peace. They do get purpose. And so Andrew answers. Verse 38, he said, Rabbi, and John translates that for the people who don't know uh, Hebrew, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Now, let me explain that. He's not saying, you know, what's your house like? What he's saying is, 
can we come to where you're going? Where are you staying so we can come and be with you? Basically, he's inviting himself to come to be with Jesus. Lord, we want to spend some time with you. We, we want to have an audience with you. And here's why. They want to check him out. John the Baptist says, there is the Lamb of God. They're following Jesus. They say, look, where are you staying? We want to spend some time with you. Verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, depending on the time, if it's Roman or Jewish time, this is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The, the picture is they spent the whole day from 4 o'clock all night with Jesus. And they're talking with him. And he's teaching them. And when they finished, Andrew, an implied John, knew this was the Messiah. And they chose to follow him. You and I cannot force anyone to follow Jesus. That is their choice. We are to tell them about Jesus. But they need to make that decision themselves. But here's what I believe with all my heart. If someone sincerely seek out Jesus and check him out sincerely, they will follow him. I believe that. Uh, I, I challenge people, check it out. Do your own study. If you look at the life of Jesus, you study the life of Jesus, you seek Jesus, I promise you, he will reveal himself to you to follow. Third. To be a disciple, we must follow the example of Jesus to make more disciples. We must follow the example of Jesus to make more disciples. Here's the, again, here's the progression. Very simple. You need someone to point you to Jesus. You can't be a disciple unless someone points you to Jesus. Then number two, you've got to follow Jesus. And then once you follow Jesus, it's your job to go out to find other people to tell about Jesus and to make disciples. So what happens to Andrew? Well, Andrew spends time with Jesus. Look what happens. And one of the, the two who follow him, verse 40, one of the two who heard uh, John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon and Peter's brother. Verse 41, he fir found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated mean Christ. Here's Andrew. He spent time with Jesus. So what does he do? He goes out and he looks for his brother, Peter. He said, I need to tell you what I found. I've just spent time with the Messiah. You see, once you've experienced Jesus, you want to tell other people about Jesus. And so he goes to find his brother, Simon. In fact, it actually says that day, just so that we understand, that on that particular night, that day, the next, as he spent time with Jesus, he went out immediately to find Peter. You know, the priority of Jesus is to find people. So what is the priority of Andrew? To find people. Jesus said he came to save and seek the lost, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus said he didn't come to serve, but, but to, to, not to be served, but to serve, Mark chapter 10. Andrew's doing that. He is following the example of Jesus. And so he goes and he tells his brother, guess what? We have found the Messiah. And again, John translates that in case they don't know Hebrew. This is the Christ. It means the anointed one. And Andrew comes to, to Peter, and he doesn't really argue. He, there's no debate here. He simply says, we have found the Messiah. This is his personal testimony. John pointed to Jesus and said, there's Jesus. Andrew says, let me tell you what happened to me. 
John preached a message. Andrew heard it. Andrew doesn't go and preach to his brother. He simply says, let me confront you with my testimony. You know what a testimony is? All you're doing is telling what happened to you. My life before Christ, how I found Christ, and my life after Christ. That's a testimony. If you're a believer here tonight, you're a believer online, you have a testimony. Who have you told that testimony to? Some of our testimonies, like the Apostle Paul, dramatic. Paul was going down the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared, blinded him. Incredible story. Some of our testimonies, like Timothy, our moms and our grandmother just talked to us, and and one day we became a Christian. Whatever the testimony is, it is your testimony. And here's Andrew. He's telling Peter his testimony. He said, we have found the Messiah. We have found the anointed one. This is the one we've been looking for. And then verse 42, he said he brought him to Jesus. I love this. Andrew comes to his brother and says, hey, we found the Christ. Come on. You can almost picture him grabbing him and taking him. Andrew, by the way, every time in the New Testament he's mentioned, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Every time. We're going to see some more examples of that in the book of John. Every time he's mentioned, he's bringing someone to Jesus. And here he is. He's bringing Peter. So he brings Peter to him. Look what Jesus does. Verse 42. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Here comes Simon. He's coming to Jesus, and Jesus sees him. He says, Simon. I know you. Simon, you're you're like a sand. You're unstable. You're shifting. You're impulsive. You you just cannot be steady. You're kind of unreliable, Simon. You have your ups and you have your downs and you're undependable. It's like sand. But I'm going to give you something so special. You'll be known as Peter. The rock. I'm changing your name to Cephas. That's the name. No longer you're going to be the sand. You're going to be the rock. There was a little boy who didn't like his name, so he went down to the courthouse and walked in and saw a judge and said, Judge, I, I want to change my name. He said, What's your name? He said, My name is William Stinks. Judge said, I, I can understand why you want to change your name. What do you want to change it to? Bob. <laughs> sometimes changing the name doesn't mean a thing, but sometimes it makes a difference. Peter, I'm changing your name because I'm going to change your character. Peter, I'm changing your name because I'm going to change your life. Peter, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to repair all the cracks and damage in your life, and you're going to be so sturdy and stable. You're going to be a leader. And Peter followed him. Look at verse 43. Jesus, he finds Philip. Now, Jesus is going to do something interesting here. Here's Andrew. He went to find Peter. But here's Jesus. He's finding someone. Philip. And Philip, he calls him. And now, here's, here's the thing. 
Jesus is demonstrating this, and he calls Philip to follow him. And the Bible says that he went to find Philip. Here's the idea. He is looking for Philip for a reason. Andrew spent a day with Jesus. He went to find Peter. And on that same day, Jesus is walking, and he's looking to find Philip because Jesus is, is reaching out and building the apostles. By the way, Philip has the distinction of being the first one called by Jesus, although Andrew was the first disciple. Jesus called Philip specifically. And we know a lot about Philip, surprisingly. He's one of the apostles. We know that. His name is, is a Greek name, which meant that he, he leaned. He was a Hellenistic Jew. We also know that he's always listed the filth. Every time a list of the disciples, he's listed filth. We know from his background, he's probably a fisherman like, like Peter and Andrew. But what we know about Philip is he's very analytical. He's always thinking. Because later on in the story, you're going to see how Philip is always thinking. He he's, he's, he's like a, has an engineer mindset of breaking things down. And so here's Jesus. He finds Philip, and he calls him. And he was going to Galilee. He found Philip in verse 43 and said, follow me. Notice what Philip does. Verse 45, Philip finds Nathaniel. You see the pattern? As soon as you meet Jesus, you go out and find someone. And so Philip, he goes find Nathaniel to tell him about what's going on. Look what it says. And Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip is very precise, very detailed. In fact, did you notice how Philip breaks it down to Nathaniel? I mean, Andrew comes to, to Peter. He says, hey, we found the Messiah. But look how Philip puts it in words. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, he's analyzing Jesus' background. Hey, we know him. He, he, he's from uh, the son of Joseph. We, we, we checked him out. And there's a comparison in the Old Testament about the Messiah. This is what Moses wrote. And he said, I come to the conclusion this is the Messiah. He is breaking it down for Nathaniel. And Nathaniel has this great question, verse 47. Nathaniel said, verse 46, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And here's why. Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth was this uncelebrated, forgotten town off the beaten path that no one thought about. In fact, Nazareth at this time was only known for one thing, and that was garbage in the streets. Because when the Roman soldiers would walk on the streets of Nazareth, the people literally threw garbage on the street, so the Roman soldiers would have to walk through the garbage. It was not a clean town in that sense. And, and here's Nathaniel saying, I, I, I don't get it. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip has the greatest answer, come and see. Check it out. Sometimes we're talking to people, and they said, can, can Jesus be, really be the Son of God? Well, check it out. Can you really trust the Bible? Well, check it out. Can Jesus change my life? Well, you can check it out. And he's calling Nathaniel. By the way, do you know who Nathaniel is? In the list of the apostles, you never find Nathaniel's name, but you find someone else, Bartholomew. That's Nathaniel. You see, Bartholomew is not a first name. It's a last name. 
B-A-R is son of. So Bartholomew is son of Tolmai. Bartholomew. Nathaniel is his first name. Like Peter Barjonas, Peter the son of John. The first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about Nathaniel. They never mention Nathaniel. They talk about Bartholomew. John never talks about Bartholomew. He talks about Nathaniel. So Nathaniel is probably Nathaniel Bartholomew. And he's mentioned in John chapter 1. He's mentioned in the last chapter. And so Nathaniel comes to Jesus to check him out. Look what he says in verse 47. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. That is an incredible compliment. He's saying that here, you see this guy? This guy is legit. This guy has no deceit in his heart. This is the guy, there is no hypocrisy, no craftiness. This is the kind of person that really believes you. This is the kind of person you can trust. He doesn't think evil of other people. In fact, it's based on a psalm of someone having uh, no guile in their heart. And he's saying, look here, from Psalm chapter 32, here comes the Israelite with no guile. I mean, this is an incredible compliment from anyone, much less Jesus. And Nathaniel says, verse 48, how do you know me? I mean, you, you just said I, I, that, that I'm, I'm, I have no deceit in my heart, that I'm, a, I'm this kind of character. You don't know me. And Jesus answered him, verse 48, before Philip called you, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. What? Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, and now you think he's the son of God? Maybe he just saw you under the fig tree. In Jesus' day, in fact, in the Old Testament, the fig tree was used as a place to study and to meditate on the law of God. The fig tree had this uh, canopy of, of leaves, and it was refreshing in the hot day. And, and people would go, and they would sit under it, and they would pray to God. And they would meditate on Scripture. And they would read the Scripture. If you wanted to be by yourself, you went under the fig tree. And so being under the fig tree was a statement of saying, I'm studying and praying to God. And here's what Jesus is saying. Before Philip got to you, and I wasn't even there, you were under the fig tree talking to God, and I was there. You see what he's saying? Nathaniel, you were talking to God. You were talking to me. And Nathaniel knew it. He says, you are the son of God. And Jesus answered in front of everyone, because I said to you, that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the angels, you'll see the heavens open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is taking a passage in the book of Genesis. You know the... When Jacob was having his dream and the angels going up and down the, 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 the ladder. And J- Jacob had this dream, the angels would be going up to heaven down. And Jesus said, no, no. In the Old Testament, that's the way it was. But from now on, when you see people going up and down, 
It's going to be on me, the Son of God. I am the only stairway to heaven. There's no other way to heaven. Nathaniel, no one comes to the Father but through me. Oh, there are some people that won't take the express elevator of religion. Or they won't go up the escalator of good works, but that's impossible, Nathaniel. You're going to see the great things because only through me can people get to the Heavenly Father. And Nathaniel followed him. 2,000 years ago, Jesus reached out, calling people to follow him. And he's still doing it today. And for us to be disciples, we need to understand that we need to hear this call. We need someone to point to Jesus. And we need to follow him. And if we follow him, we need to make other disciples. But it begins by giving your life to Christ. You see, I can tell you about Jesus. I can tell you he's the son of God. I can tell you he died on a cross for your sins, my sins. I can tell you he died, he was buried on the third day, he arose from the grave. I can tell you he's coming back someday. I can tell you that he can give you peace, he can give you security. He can, he can give you whatever you need in life. I can tell you all that. But you have to make a choice Will you submit to him. I can, I can tell you that the word of the Bible is the word of God. I can tell you that the prophecies are true. But you still got to make a choice. And you may be here tonight, you may be online, and you've heard the gospel message over and over and over. But the question is, have you ever given your life to Christ? If not, tonight's the night. By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, Lord, I can't save myself. By believing that Jesus did die for you. And by confessing everything, by saying, God, I give you everything in my life. I submit it all to you. Will you do that tonight? If you're online, if, if you need to make this decision, we ask you to text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. If you're here tonight, in a few moments we'll be singing. If you just come to the front and talk to me or after the service, find one of the ministers. But will you make that decision? But the second invitation is we also need to make, who are you discipling? In the same way I said this morning, who's in your future? Well, who are you discipling? Who are you pouring your life into? Who are you telling about Christ? Of the people here tonight, do, don't raise your hand. The average, national average, only 13 out of 100 Christians share their faith. Have you ever one-on-one verbally shared your faith with someone? If not, will you make a commitment tonight? to the Lord. This year will not pass until you share your faith with someone. Would you stand and bow your heads? Our Heavenly Father, through your word, you've given us the pattern, the pattern of making disciples. And so, Father, tonight I pray that we'll take it to our hearts Father, we realize that if we're going to change the world, we've got to share our faith. And Father, we've got to disciple people. We have to help them grow. And so, Father, I pray, first of all, for anyone who's never given their life to you, that, Father, tonight's the night that they will come to the cross and give everything to Jesus. No more excuses. 
They've heard the gospel message. Let them make that decision. And for the Father, for those believers who realize they have never shared their faith, the scariest thing they may ever try to do, let them commit to you tonight that before the end of this year, they will share their faith with at least one person. That, Father, we will not be in that percentage of people who have never shared their faith as Christians. Father, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.